Hello and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. And as I'm just kind of looking around, I know that we got a few new people, people from out of town or brand new people visiting today. Really glad that all of you are here worshiping with us here on New Year's Eve. And um, uh, really glad to be with you. Um, if you, for those of you who are new, some of these these stories will be new to you. But for some of you Grove Classic people, people who have been around for a while, you'll know that there's kind of this. You know, I've been here. We've been here 13 years now, and there are a limited number of really interesting stories that have happened to me. And I like to tell them on repeat sometimes because they're fun for me. Well, they're not fun, but they are interesting. And if you were here around, especially the first few years. Just to kind of catch everybody up here, for the first nine and a half years that we lived here, uh, we still owned the house at the, at the place where we moved from, Cabot, Arkansas. We owned it for nine and a half extra bonus years, little joyful years. And if you're around, you like, eventually, you guys turned mean. And I see even some of you are laughing right now. Some of you are laughing right now because you remember being mean about it because it just got, it became, it became a joke to you because you weren't. Uh, you weren't writing the mortgage check every month. Was was funny. It was it was, it was. It sometimes you know it wasn't that it was funny. I told it in funny ways, but it was one of these things. It was just kind of this this burden. You know, we would have renters in there that we try to sell it, and we couldn't sell it. And then by the end, I mean, it just got crazy there at the end. Where turned out we almost we were about a week away from it closing. It turned out it had major foundation issues that I just won't even talk about how much that cost. But we finally got rid of it. It was just this it was this huge just kind of overwhelming burden that we just felt like we were carrying forever. And so that was the joke here. When I was in Cabot, Arkansas for 4 years, my jokes were typically about what went on in the 4 years previous in St. Louis which ended with, and this is not going to sound humorous at all, it ended with um, the guy I was working for, he was the lead pastor, it ended with him saying, hey, our church has some problems, we think they're all your fault, you're fired, you should consider a different career, you'll never be good as a pastor. Hard to tell that story near as funny in Cabot as you can talk about a house that won't sell. And then when I was in St. Louis, I would whine and complain uh, about our time in seminary in Colorado, where you know, for I, we the the car that we took it blew up within the first couple of months. The car that I bought to replace it stranded me literally eight different times over the course of the thirteen months we had it. And right before we sold it, the guy was coming to pick it up, and it blew up. Like literally, like literally blew up, caught fire, singed everything, and I mean, it was just. And so you just, you just kind of have all these stories that a different place ultimately become legendary about what happened before. And whether it's an exploding car, a house that won't sell, or a guy that you would have considered one of your best friends looking at you in the eye and saying, 
all of our church's problems are your fault. You're terrible at what you do. Consider doing anything else. Whichever those we're talking about, they all for me are just kind of these life-defining, fork-in-the-road kind of moments where you really ultimately have to make a decision or you don't, either you do or don't. I mean, I mean, you could just be passive. Like, something's going to happen in these kind of defining moments that really are going to determine who you are. And the choices that you make or the choices that you fail to make in the aftermath of these just kind of weighty things that happen in your life, these... These are the things that really kind of determine who we really are. And I know that for a lot of us, it's kind of how we get at the end of the year and right before the beginning of a year, we spend some time reflecting on who we have been. And as we look ahead, we think about who I wish I could become. And I think it is of incredible importance for us to spend that kind of time thinking about it. Because I think all of us have these kind of fork in the road, kind of life-changing moments that have helped us become the person that we are or kept us from becoming the person that we want to be. And so we're going to look today at a parable, a parable that Jesus told about kind of what really needs to be true about us in order for the life, the 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 life that God wants to implant inside of us, the life that God wants us to live, the peace, the joy, the love, the connectedness, the forgiveness, the healing, all of these things, no matter how we describe them, no matter what words we use, this capital L life that God is calling us to, what are the qualities that we need to have and what are the things that we're going to need to be able to overcome if we are going to become that person next year that we wish that we could? If five years from now, ten years from now, that we can look back at this moment, at this year and say, this is who I want, this was it, this is who I want to be, what is it going to take for us to get there? And so actually, yeah, as we read this parable, it's actually a pretty simple parable, and it's not near as deep, at least on the surface, as I'm sitting here making it out to be. Uh, it is in Matthew chapter 13, and it is called the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. 
Now, depending on how churchy you are and how you grew up going to church and how many Bible stories you've heard and how often you've heard this, this may be a familiar parable to you. It's kind of, hey, I, I know this parable. I've, I've heard this before. And you have some understanding of what he's talking about. But just imagine, if you will, that this has, this, this has no, you have no history with this at all. This is, you're there with Jesus for the very first time. And Jesus like, I got something I want to tell you guys. There's this farmer, and he had a bunch of seed, and he threw it out, and some landed in this bad place, some landed in this bad place, some landed in this bad place, and some landed in a good place, and he had a lot of crops. And, and like immediately after this, the, the most normal reaction you can imagine is exactly what happens with the disciples. Like the people leave is like, uh, bro, bro, what? Like, like what? And then, and like, why do you talk like this? No one knows what you're saying, which is a very, like, like kudos to them for having the courage to look Jesus in the eye and be like, bro, what? Um, but the interesting thing, like, there, there's one part about this that I think is particularly just kind of on its face kind of wild. And if there are any farmers in the room or people who have any farming ability, like, you, you, you probably catch it immediately because the story starts with a farmer is out there, he's sowing his seed and is just, just throwing it everywhere, right? He's just, he's just discreet. Why is the farmer throwing the seed on the path at all? Bro, it's your seed. Like, like, why are you throwing it where the thorns are? Just, you've got some, you've got some land that is perfectly tilled. Why not throw it out there? And I've, I've discovered Farmers can be a particular bunch. I learned this very early. This was about, about 30, I'm actually probably closer to 33, 34 years ago when I described my father-in-law as a farmer. And um, he lives on what I thought was a farm. It looked like a farm. It was out in the middle of nowhere. It was a lot of, a lot of acreage, lots of grass. I called it a farm. Guess what? It's not a farm. You know what it is? It's a ranch. You know why it's a ranch? We have animals, not crops. And then I was like, he was, I mean, it was, it was very uncomfortable what he said to me. And I, was, I really felt put in my place. And I wasn't really sure what was going on there until I just kept hearing over the years everyone else referring to it as a farm, including him. And then I realized it was just about putting me in my place as, as, as his daughter's boyfriend, that I was eloquently referred to as city boy. I was referred to as city boy. Because I came for it, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And I got, I, got, I got a guy here from my hometown right here. He's already laughing way more than you are. I came from El Dorado, Arkansas, population 20,000 people, city boy. City boy I was. They were ranchers, not farmers. But if you are a farmer, right, he's sowing his seed. He is putting out his crops, but he is just haphazardly throwing the seed everywhere, knowing Anything that lands on a path or anything that lands in thorns is not going to produce crops. Why would he do that? I mean, that has to be for someone who is legitimately paying attention to whatever it is that Jesus is saying here is, is, is kind of shocking. And we spend all our time as we're analyzing this parable talking about these different sorts of soil types but before we get into that, I want to make sure that we, we, we are catching at least this one point that I think that Jesus is trying to put out there by describing this farmer as really just not a very good farmer. 
as he's making this comparison to God being the one who is kind of sowing truth and his love and the gospel out there in the world, I want to make sure that we don't miss this, that we worship a very generous God. We worship a very generous God. This is a God who is putting his word, his truth, his love, his heart out there in all sorts of places. Knowing that it will not take root, knowing that it will not be returned, he is loving us indiscriminately. He is reaching out to people completely and totally without any regard for what he may or may not get in return. And I think that that, that, that is an important thing for us to understand about God because I think too often we, we find ourselves believing that we are in transactional relationships with God. That God gives so that I'll give and that, and that he has these unrealistic high expectations of me that somehow that I can never meet. When really at its core, what we have is a very generous, loving God who is willing to love and give himself and reach out to people who he, know, who he knows will never respond to him. And so I hope that as we spend the rest of this time talking about what it means for us to kind of be a, a, a committed, devoted, one who is legitimately responding well to what God is giving us in our lives, that we will, that we will, not, we will not fall prey to this thing that I think that so many of us have, that somehow that God is against us or that God is not a lover of us, that, that God is more of a taskmaster than a generous, loving father. And so we have this thing. We, got, we have this generous God who is out there just taking his gospel, taking his love, his heart, his compassion, and throwing it out there in the world, hoping that people will respond. And we, we get this first group that, that, that um, lands on the path and immediately is taken away. People who hear and just reject God outright. And then we've got these two soils in the middle, one with, with, rock, with, with rocky soil where it just doesn't really take root, and another one where thorns kind of attack it. In a lot of ways, depending on how you grew up, depending on what particular theological points your particular church may have been obsessed with, um, very often, every time I've heard this, 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 most of the time when I've heard this parable talked about, we like to spend some time talking about, well, were the people with the thorns and the stones, were they really Christians or not? Because the, 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 it, it implants in the soil, but it only came up for a little bit, and then it gets lost and choked out. So is that someone who was never a Christian at all? Or were they a Christian and then they lost their salvation? And now we're just kind of neck deep in just kind of these long-standing theological debates about how Christian do you have to be to be a real Christian, and can you lose being a Christian and all of these things? As if. That is at all what Jesus had on his mind when he's talking about this. You know what I think will stir up some theological debates amongst Americans 2,000 years from now? I'm just going to throw this vague thing out there and just let them fight about it for, for generations. Seems unlikely. It seems unlikely that we're supposed to go, okay, well, the first one, they're definitely not Christians, and the, and the last one, they definitely are, and we're supposed to go maybe and probably and no or whatever. When really what he's saying is bad, 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 good. I mean, that, I, mean it's, I don't know that it has to be deeper than that. Except to really then think about, for us, I mean, we're clearly not path people. 
I mean, unless this is your absolutely your very first time in church and you're hearing me talk and you're thinking, I got to get out of here right now. You have at least heard about God once or twice and are wanting to learn more. And so at worst, we are one of these soils in the middle. Hopefully, what we are wanting to become is this deep, rich soil that, that, that can multiply. But most of us, at least to some degree, and really, if we're just going to go deep into this metaphor that Jesus is using, all of us really have little bits of all of these. If you think about the things, he's talking about the soil of your heart. And he's talking about rocky soil. He's talking about like, like, like the goodness and the love and the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ being planted inside your heart. And there are things in your heart that make it difficult for you to believe. There are things in your past, there are things in your life that are keeping you from being able to fully embrace the love of God through Jesus Christ. Things that are holding you back from being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We've all got a little bit of rock in our our soil. And none of us are immune to attacks from thorns. The way he describes these thorns is just kind of the the world and its systems, all the things that exist there out in the world that are attempting to pull you away, to choke this thing out. I have this desire right here, at least in this moment on a Sunday morning on New Year's Eve, I've got this desire. I want to walk with God more deeply and more fully this year. And there are things in my heart that are keeping me from being able to do it, it feels like. And there are these magnets, these pulls, these thorns, if you will, that are trying to choke it out, that are trying to make me become something other than the man, the woman that God is calling me to be. We all have those sorts of struggles. And the interesting thing about this parable is the, the disciples say, like I mentioned earlier, the disciples come to him and say, hey, bro, bro, what? And then he and he describes what happens, and he, just, he basically describes, he says, okay, this, the soil is, you know, God trying to tell people about the kingdom and, 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 and his love and what, and what I'm doing, and, and these, these, these different obstacles represent these different things. He doesn't really ever, there's, there's interesting, he doesn't ever say, there's no application point at the end. He doesn't say, and so work really hard to be good soil. And so try your best, and then da, 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 da. He doesn't say, he just, he just puts it out there. Which I love that because I think it gives us even more time. Because now, now we're even deeper reflecting on what is he talking about here? What, what is going on? He's, he's describing something. But what is it? Like, what do, what do we need to do? How are we supposed to respond to this? And what I would like to suggest to you is just a, a, what is going to ultimately be, I think, a very simple idea. And when I say a simple idea, it's like, I mean, it's not gonna be, it is not going to be difficult to communicate it to you. It is not going to be difficult for you to understand. It's not difficult for me to understand. It's not difficult to explain. It's not going to be difficult for you to hear and understand what I'm saying. It's a very simple idea. 
but I think it, uh, it is incredibly profound. It's incredibly difficult. And really, I think, is the kind of idea that if we can just kind of allow it to kind of act as a compass for us, can really put words to what I think the, this next season of all of our journeys should be. And the first part is this. Um, we worship this generous God, and what I, th- what, what I would love for us to do is let's make a commitment. Let's commit. Let's commit to work this year on our soil issues. Let's commit to work on our soil issues. Now, what are you talking about here with these soil issues? I mean, again, the things that are going on inside of your heart, the things that are just kind of deep inside you, that are keeping you from living the life that God has called you to. I mean, there, I mean we can give a name to a lot of these things, bitterness, anxiety, fear, unforgiveness. All of these things that are just these huge weights that we carry around with us that are preventing us from really experiencing the things that the, that the Bible says that we can experience if we are fully connected with God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. This is what God is offering us. And this is what we can have. But there are these things, there are the things that are keeping us from being joyful from, from being patient, from being kind, from being gentle, from having self-control. There are things that are going on. And a lot of these things are very deeply rooted in our past. They're very deeply rooted in the things that have happened to us. I half joked about it as I was kind of going through my laundry list of old um, things that I used to complain about or illustrations that I would use, stories that I would tell from my past. But let me tell you, when someone that you would have considered to be one of your absolute best friends in the world, as you are being a pastor for the very first time in your life, after three and a half years of this, he looks you in the eye and says, you are terrible at this. Quit. Do anything else. And in a moment in time, not only have you lost your best friend, not only have you been severely insulted, but when you pastor a church for, for three and a half, four years, they become like a family. So we're kicking you out of the family. We are no longer friends. You are terrible. Now you must leave. And then what he and the other guy who were on staff at the church, what they did was is they started going alphabetically through the membership list to meet with every person in the church to tell them about what had happened so that they could tell them and justify what they had done to me. I had to sign essentially an NDA saying that I would not talk about this to anybody or I would lose the small amount of severance and health insurance that I was being offered in the three to four months afterwards. And I knew they were doing it alphabetically based on the, uh, I'm a pattern recognizer as, you know, as I start to get these phone calls. I was getting a lot of phone calls in the first couple of weeks from people last name of A and B. Then we'll switch to C and D. And I'm I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but by the time we get to G, I'm figuring it out. We are working our way methodically through it, and I'm beginning to hear lies being told about me and, and, and great attacks on my character. And 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 I'm and I'm overwhelmed I'm overwhelmed by this. 
I don't, I don't know what to do. And a lot of bitterness is, is, is coming up in my heart, a lot of frustration, a lot, a lot of fear, a lot of confusion, a lot of things like maybe, maybe, it's right. maybe, maybe I need to be done. Maybe I need to be done. And I tried several times to reconcile with, the, with these guys, and it just wasn't working. And, and I found myself, as I moved from St. Louis to Cabot, I found myself this is really just kind of defensive, angry kind of person, just kind of waiting for the people that I was working with, when are you going to betray me next? And there came this moment, one more time after we had moved there, I tried to meet with them and talk to them, and it, and it didn't work out. And I had to make a decision that I was going to let God do something miraculous in my heart that I was not able to do logistically. I was going to have to learn how to forgive him because I could not carry this thing around with me forever. And fast forward actually to 2010, we moved here in August and now it has been, it has been a full four, four and a half, almost five years since this event happened. He randomly called me after I, we had been in Fayetteville for two weeks and, and begged for my forgiveness. But I had already made a decision years before that I was going to have to forgive him because I could not carry this thing around with me. And there are a lot of us, we're carrying a lot of things around with us. We're carrying around the hurt of things that people have done to us. We're carrying around the shame of bad decisions that we have made in the past. We're carrying around a lot of these different things. And it's making our soil incredibly rocky. And what God wants us is to have incredibly healthy soil. And what I want to suggest to you is a partnership. Because again, while we're talking about theological debates, there's another one that Christians like to have about how, um, how do these things get resolved? Is this something that if you work hard enough, you can resolve them themselves? Is it something that you have to do? Or is it something that God can only do? And what I would like to suggest to you, if it was something that you could do by yourself, you would have done it already. And if it was something that God did in a vacuum, then why isn't God just doing it all the time? It's like, boop, 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 boop. It doesn't work that way. What God does is he heals us as we're pursuing him. And what I would like to suggest is a partnership between you and God. Where you are giving him the freedom and the space to come in and legitimately heal you, but it is in your active pursuit of him. It is in your active pursuit of doing the things that, things that you need to do to get mentally and emotionally healthy while at the same time reaching out to a good God who is the only one who can heal. There are things that have to happen in our life that are not possible for us to do. You cannot, we cannot raise the dead. We cannot make old things new. And these are the things that God is saying he'll do. He'll make old things new and bring dead things to life. Those are things that he does, but those are things that he does as we are pursuing him. So let us make a commitment this year to work on our soil issues so that we can resist the thorn issues. Because the things that are pulling us in all of these different directions, these thorns that are choking out the life of us, the things that are in this world, we're better able to battle them if we're working on the things that are deep in our heart. I mean, the, the world's out to get us. The world is 
pulling people not towards deep faith and love and compassion with God. The world is out there trying to get us to fight. The world is out there trying to get us to hate. The world is out there trying to get us obsessed with money. The world is out there trying to get us obsessed with sex. And if our heart's not right, if our soil issue is still rocky, then when those battles come, we're not ready for them. There's a thing that happens. Um, and I don't know if you, you know, I've joked about this before. When a pastor makes the newspaper, it's never a good thing. Right? Local pastor, and it's on the headline. Like, it's not like local pastor loves people well. Local pastor gave good sermon on Sunday. Local pastor showed friendship. Like, it's never that, Right? And anytime this happens, it's around two things. Always, 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 always. Sex and money. Always, always, always. All right? It's always that. And, um, and my staff will tell you that anytime that this happens, a pastor hits the headline, um, the next two staff meetings are going to be difficult for them. Because I'm going to be on one. Because it just, it upsets me. It upsets me so much. And I spend some time, the first one mostly just ranting in general. And then the second one just kind of talking about how can we do better what were the things, what, what do you think the blind spots were that kept this, this, this person with a legit passion to follow God and to serve God to end up taking $500,000 from their church? What do you think happened in this person's life that made him leave his wife of 25 years and run off with one of his daughter's friends? What, what, is hap- what, what happens? And what is happening is we're not, doing, we're not doing the work. We're not allowing God to really come in and heal us and do the work that he needs to do in our hearts. Because when my heart is healthy, and my eyes are on him and the thing that he's doing in my life, then I'm loving my wife very well. And when my heart is healthy, I'm content with what I have. And when my heart is healthy, the ups and downs with people and the hurts from my past, they don't have the hold on me that they used to. And so when all the temptations and all the things in this world that are pulling us one direction or another, when they come at me, when my heart is healthy, I can resist and continue to be on the path that God has me on. Because I don't want this. I don't want this for me. I don't want this for my family. I don't want this for any of you. I don't want us to wake up a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. And be someone and be somewhere we never wanted to be and never wanted to go. And so that's why we're going to make this commitment. I'm going to make this commitment to work on the things that are going on in my heart. So that no matter what this world may throw at me, I'm going to remain committed and devoted to a pursuit of a relationship with God and the health and the life that comes from it. 
And so at its simplest, and really, again, most of these things, most of these kinds of talks, most of these kinds of sermons are incredibly simple. How do we do it? How do we do it? I just want to give you two very simple, easy pieces of advice. Make a commitment this year to passionately pursue an individual relationship with God. Through worship, through reading his word, through prayer, that I'm going to make a commitment to be devoted to God. And we're actually going to spend the next several weeks in January kind of talking about that very issue. About what does it look like for us to pursue a devoted relationship with God. And the second piece of advice I would say is to find some people. Find your people. More than buddies, more than just friends. People who, because they're in your life, they're helping you be better. They're helping you pursue God more. They're helping keeping you accountable. They're helping you work on your thorn issues and are the kinds of people that come at the thorns in your life with weed eater and axes and whatever it takes to kind of hack and get rid of these things. Find you some, find those people. And I promise you this, those kinds of people are right here in this room. And if you need our help and helping you find them, if you've been here at our church for a while and have not found your people yet, I encourage to let us know. It is, this, is, this, is Mark's, this is Mark's number one job, is helping our people find each other, to be these encouraging, mentor, partnering relationships to help us in our relationships with God. So let us pursue a relationship with God. Let us do it together so that we can work on these things in our heart, these soil issues, so that we can battle the thorns that this world is throwing at us. Let me pray. God, I pray, I pray, that we, I pray that we would. I pray that this would happen. God, I pray that we would have hearts that are pursuing you. That, God, that we're trying to get healthy. That we're trying to heal. That we're trying to forgive. That we're trying to release anxiety and bitterness. All of these things. But God, we confess we cannot do that alone. We are in desperate need for your help. And so, God, I pray that as we are pursuing you, that, God, that you would heal us. That we would not settle for stagnant. But, God, with devoted hearts in our pursuit of you, that, God, that you would heal us. And then, God, that I pray that we would be able to do that together. And then, God, that no matter what this next year holds, whatever surprises and twists and turns, no matter what happens, that, God, that we, could, we would stay connected to you. That we can continue to have life with you and your son, Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful for him and the life that he lived and the death that he died for us that we could be restored to you and that makes all of this possible. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast. And you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover in our sermon podcast or just in other 
issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast, which is on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.